Hi, thanks for checking out a very special episode of Pod for the Planet. On this episode, we have the audio from our last Late Night for the Planet show of 2019. This past week, we were joined by presidential candidate Howie Hawkins for a discussion about politics and the environment. But before we get into the show, we have a couple of updates for you. First, we're working to raise some money to help us buy some desperately needed equipment so we can keep producing this show. We have a link for our GoFundMe in the show notes. Please check it out, and every donation helps us reach our goal. If you cannot donate, please share our fundraiser with your friends and family. Thanks. Second, we have some major show changes coming in the spring and just want you to know that we will be going on a short hiatus for a few weeks while we work on all of these fun changes. And third, while we are working on all of these changes, we want your feedback. Let us know what you think, what we could be doing better or differently. We make this show for all of you, so let us know what we can do. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. Thanks. Uh, thank you for coming out tonight. Uh, please help me in welcoming my wonderful, amazing co-host, Michaela. Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming out tonight. I know the weather is uh, not ideal, so we're glad to have you all here. It's Plattsburgh. The weather's never ideal, honestly. <laughs> if you think it is, you like to ski, so interesting. <laughs> Uh, so tonight we're bringing you some political coverage, some games, headlines, and some really awesome guests to the stage. Uh, you're going to leave here tonight ready to knock on some doors and sign up some voters. So, uh, Charles, uh, talking politics with friends and family has gotten a bit more intense over the past few years, wouldn't you say? You're telling me? Mm -hmm. I just had to buy a whole new family this year for Thanksgiving. It's going to be great next year when I go home to my real family and I'm like, hey, how was that? That was Thanksgiving. The turkey was amazing, right? Mm, sure, yum. So tonight we're stepping back and having some honest discussions about what's been going on in the American uh, political field. So uh, with that, we have a presidential candidate with us here tonight. So tonight, Howie Hawkins has been an active political figure and fighting for the Green Party ballot space. Come on, guys, come on! We also right. have John McMahon, a political science professor, an expert in political thought in US politics, and an aspiring podcaster, just like myself. So, here for podcasters. Woo! Not a loud enough clap, come on! <laughs> And last but not least, we have Essence Hightower, the former SA president and avid political spectator, and she also happened to work in DC with me this summer, and we, neither of us knew it, so we have that in common? Come on stage, <laughs> Essence. All right, so now that we've all got some drinks in our system, let's, been, let's talk about what's been going on for hmm, the past two weeks, month. Let's get into it. <laughs> Wildfires are still burning in the state of California. Currently, there are seven burning across the state, which have burned 75,000 acres in this wildfire season. And no, it's not because we didn't rake them. God. <laughs> uh, yeah, right? How silly of us. Um, oh, by the way, if at any point you guys want to chime in, please, this is your show just as much as it, as it is ours. Uh, yesterday, there was an article in the New York Times about flooding and other natural disasters across America in this space uh, that us environmental people like to call the urban wildland interface, uh, where people have been building more homes over the past decade. Uh, 
Uh, so what can we do about this? Can we tell people where they can live? Is that a possibility? Yeah, we have zoning. We should have land use planning. The land none of us created, so it's not our private property. It's something we share. It's our common inheritance. We need to plan our cities better. Um, we tend to have sprawl because developers can make money that way. It's not the best way to live. So, yeah, we can do that. And as far as the wildfires go, you know, PG&E is a utility trying to maximize its profits, mm -hmm. and it's done a bad job. And instead of putting the lines underground where they wouldn't start fires, they're up above the ground. And now they're facing bankruptcy, and they're shutting down the power. My brother lives in Oakland, and some days I call, and he says, the power's out. I can't, you know, send you an email or anything. It's uh, inexcusable in this day and age. It's also been cited that um, their faulty equipment has caused two dozen blazes in recent years in the state of California. Well, that's why we need a public energy system accountable to the people. We can set the priorities instead of paying shareholders and excessive executive salaries. It can be a public service that serves the people. Absolutely. So you're, so you're telling me we don't want the CEOs and the companies to take all of our money? Because, whoa. <laughs> yeah, everybody agrees with that except the CEOs. You know, the problem is politically, they're still beating us. And that's a whole other question. Public preferences don't translate into public policy. That's the big problem of American politics. John, you're a political science professor here. Can you tell us a little bit about why businesses have so much sway in our political system? Oh, gosh. Uh, I don't think we want to be here for the next four hours. Can I you give us the 25-second uh, <laughs> clip version of it? No, I mean, certainly there have been many changes to election laws uh, and election campaign finance laws over the past several years. Um, but it's not just Citizens United that's the problem. There's kind of a long line of Supreme Court cases um, going further back to previous Supreme Courts uh, that decided to weigh supposed free speech rights of private corporations over public interests about corruption or public interests about uh, finance or kind of broader common goods. So I think that's, you know, a kind of decades-long problem. Cool. I mean, not cool. It's not really not cool. Not cool. Money is property. It's not speech. And we should amend the U.S. Constitution because of Buckley v. Vallejo. That's one of the decisions back in 76 said rich people can spend all the money they want on elections. And now it's got to the point where we don't even know who's spending the money. Because of Citizens United, we got dark money. So they put it through PACs uh, who have to say who they got the money from, but it can come from a front company. It could be somebody overseas. It could be laundered drug money. And then you got the 501c4s. They don't have to tell you where they got the money. So we got all this rich folks' money into the political system. We don't even know who they are. So if money... If we change the Constitution so money is defined as property, not speech, then we can regulate uh, campaign finances. Right now, the Supreme Court's got our hands pretty tied. I didn't know we were going all the way to Buckley v. Vallejo, but I'm ready. Let's go for it. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but I feel like it's something important, and this is a wild ride. I'm ready. To, let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> you want to bring us to our next event? Oh, I guess. Uh, so... Currently, how many of you watch the news? Read the news? Watch the news? You have a Twitter account? What does um, watching mean anymore? That's a, that's a good point. What is watching? Uh, so I've been on Twitter a lot today, probably more than I should have been. Um, what else is new? Uh, and what I saw was that the impeachment process has continued uh, in the House of Representatives for our fantastic president, Donald Trump. 
Uh, so last week was the first public hearings of the impeachment process, and to be quite honest, they were a real mixed bag. Um, did you guys watch today Sondland's testimony today? Well, my reaction is what took the Democrats so damn long to impeach this guy? First day in office, he's enriching himself, violating the emoluments clause. Nepotism, bringing his family in where they shouldn't be. Great episode uh, of The Office. The racism is not faithfully executing the laws of this country, which at least on paper are supposed to be non-discriminatory. He tells people to break laws, border patrol, cops on Long Island. He says, I'll pardon you. We pardon Joe Arpaio. Uh, what else? Abuse of power every time he turns around. I mean, this guy has committed so many high crimes and misdemeanors, you know, and then Pelosi was saying, well, we don't want to divide the country. He divides the country every time he opens his mouth. So, you know, my reaction is, what took him so long? Exactly, exactly. There's so, been a picture on Facebook over like the past like couple weeks that it's like a person building a wall and it's like the Mex a Mexican American border and it's like the wall is like perpendicular to the border instead of like on the border and I'm like, wow, that's a good meme to be going around. Trump said the other day Colorado was on the border. He's building a wall in Colorado. <laughs> I mean, I'm from Colorado. I think some Coloradans want to keep non-Coloradans out. Yeah, right. <laughs> keep all the good weed to themselves. Before Jeez. I, before I pass a question on to our guests, I just want to highlight the brave men and women and the whistleblower who have come forward to protect our democracy and speak up about these crimes. Um, yeah, exactly. Round of applause for them. So I wanted to ask our guests on stage, how powerful are these public hearings with these witnesses? And, you know, as a political science uh, professor, as a candidate, and as a citizen, what kind of effect has these had on you? I mean, I'm particularly interested in hearing from Essence. Like, how much do you think kind of students that you're in contact with are, like, engaged with the impeachment inquiry and these so sorts of things? I feel like, so I guess I'll just speak for Plattsburgh. Um, I feel like students aren't exactly engaged. I don't. I feel like people feel like they have lost their sanity. Um, they feel like they're in a twilight zone. Uh, and every time they turn the TV on, it's something new. Uh, but we all know. You know, we all know that there are lies. Um, there are actually there are lists. Uh, I don't know if you know if you've been keeping up with the list of lies that um, the president has told <laughs> while been sitting in office. But even that, having something as simple as that, drives people insane. And so, just from speaking from my sociological, um, political science class, excuse me, um, we talked about how students just don't feel like it's necessary to give their input anymore because they don't feel like they're being taken serious. They don't feel like their input even matters. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, you know, there are so many other outside sources that are like penetrating the situation that it makes it, I don't know, it just makes it hard to even keep up. There are so many sources saying this, there are so many outside people saying that, and then you go to these hearings, I, I mean, I've been to a couple of them actually, which is why I'm saying that. You go to these hearings and you hear these people talk and you expect justice to happen, but it's not. And I feel like the one thing that um, th th that's taught me is that you really do need representation in Congress. You need representation in those seats because at the end of the day, if you don't have people that look like you to create those laws to then, you know, make proper policies to represent you and make sure they're not biased or discriminatory or racist, then you have things like this, you know? And I know it's kind of maybe far-fetched, but the point here is just that policy and law, I feel like, has completely like overlooked the fact that um, 
sorry, um, policy and law has completely overlooked the fact that um, people of color have been, you know, like disproportionately affected by it. Um, Absolutely. And it's just, I don't know. And I'm just to bring it back to the impeachment, I'm sorry to go on a little rant, but um, I feel like students students feel like again like if their voice is not being heard then why are they even tuning into cnn and all these different sources you know why are they even paying attention to any of it essence you worked for the congressional black caucus yeah. on the hill yes, I um did. so you've been to a bunch of hearings yeah from what you've seen at your here at those hearings can you just tell us a little bit about like what goes into them what the atmosphere yeah. is like like what's the room yeah. like in the hill when you're there yeah, so I feel like the Hill's active. Uh, that's the word I'll use. <laughs> very, very active, yeah. My favorite part, I always tell people this, it's probably a wash-up joke now, but my favorite thing is like knowing everything before it goes on CNN or Fox. Like, I'm like texting my friends, like, you know, make sure you watch the news because this is about to go down. Like, this is about to go down. Um, can I but, get on your text list? Yes, you can. Um, but as far as, <laughs> you're funny. Um, but as far as uh, hearings go, one of the hearings that I really, really do remember is um, the hearing on HR 40, the House, House Resolution 40, um, on restorative justice, um, which is something that, you know, black people, African Americans specifically, have been really waiting on for a really, 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 really long time. Um, and I don't know, just being in that room, first of all, people were there at the hearing uh, since like maybe like 3, 4 a.m. I don't know how they got in the building, one, but they got there and the line was extremely long. Um, but once I actually got in, um, there were tons of people um, talking, tuning in, trying to figure out what they're gonna say, how they're gonna disrupt what's going on. It was very, very entertaining. Um, but I sat back, I tried to take some notes, and I don't know, I feel like, again, like I feel like the, the mood was very, very active. I feel like people were very passionate in the room. I feel like um, one of the things that I didn't really, which one of the things that I noticed, which is what I noticed in a lot of the spaces that I'm in, is that there are not a lot of faces that look like mine, um, and so there are a lot of questions that aren't asked because of that, you know? Um, so, yeah, I don't know, but every mm -hmm. time I walk into those hearings, that is something that I'm like automatically, you know, that that's what comes to mind. That's what I, I focus on. John, could you tell us a little bit about, so this impeachment process for a lot of the people in the room, uh, this is our first time having to deal with this whole I wasn't that thing. old when Bill Clinton was impeached. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so can you tell us a little bit about like how this has happened in the past and just give us a couple of examples real quick? Yeah, I mean, clearly Bill Clinton is the uh, most recent example, right? So he was uh, uh, essentially uh, impeached or indicted by the House uh, or charged by the House and then was acquitted in the Senate. Uh, so one of my colleagues likes to use the analogy that the House is like the grand jury and then the Senate is like the trial jury. Um, so Richard Nixon was obviously impeached you know, in the mid-70s. Uh, he was impeached by the House and he was about to be removed by the Senate um, and then he resigned before that would happen. So shifting gears a little bit, currently while we are sitting here tonight, there is a clown car of Democrats parked in Atlanta and they're filing out, getting ready for another round of debates tonight. Uh, some of the main topics that we are expecting to hear about, uh, Medicare for all, taxes, but probably not climate change. Can we talk a little bit about what you are expecting to see or hear tonight from tonight's debates? Well, I'm glad I'm not watching them this time because I get hoarse shouting at the TV every time I do. <laughs> I wish I was up there with them, like on Medicare for All. You know, Warren and Sanders should have just told all those other public option Democrats, 
your option costs more. It keeps the private insurance industry and all the 30% of our healthcare dollar that goes to their profits and all that overhead. Your option costs more. Don't talk to us about the money. So if I was up there, that's what I'd tell them. Uh, and I think climate might come up. Uh, the problem is, you know, the Green New Deal, I was the first candidate in this country to run on it in 2010, running for governor. Yeah. Yeah. And it became the signature issue of the Green Party over the next decade. I ran on it twice more for governor. Jill Stein, our presidential candidate, ran on it in 2012 and 2016. Greens all over the country have run on it. And then the Sunrise Movement with uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez sat in Pelosi's office and the media made it go viral, which is great. We're happy about that. And the polls showed 80% of the people want a Green New Deal, including 64% of Republicans. The problem is, and this is the problem for the Greens, the Democrats take our ideas, they take the brand and they water down the content. So by the time the non-binding resolution gets to Congress, they eliminate the ban on fracking and new fossil fuel infrastructure, which is the essential first step, because if that infrastructure gets built, we're going to be burning fossil fuels for 40 or 50 more years. They extended the deadline from 2030 to 2050. That's too late. They didn't talk about cutting the military budget to put it into the Green New Deal. So, and then Pelosi won't even let them vote on it. And of course, old uh, Speaker uh, McConnell said, oh, we'll let you vote on it. Half you Democrats are running for president. Let's get you on the record. So Schumer said, oh, this is a trick. Y'all should vote present. So all the good little Democrats voted present instead of for the Green New Deal. He watered down as it was. Except for the Democrats voted no with the Republicans. So that's why, you know, the Greens need to be in this race. And there's one more issue I want to put out there that is not being talked about. We're in a new nuclear arms race. We've got out of the arms control treaties. We are modernizing our nuclear forces. We are putting tactical nukes into conventional forces. We're on the brink of nuclear war. We're in this new Cold War with Russia. And it's not being talked about. We're saying in the Green Party, we need to pledge no first use, unilaterally disarm to a minimum credible deterrent, and on the basis of that tension-reducing initiatives, engage the nuclear powers in serious negotiations for complete nuclear disarmament. There was a treaty that 122 nations agreed to two years ago, Treaty for the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. The campaign to abolish nuclear weapons got the Nobel Peace Prize for that in 2017. How many of you knew that? Nobody knew that. Not me. Not I. Said the Nobody guy. knows that. The world is really worried about this, and this country, which is the biggest nuclear power, is not even talking about it. And that's the problem with the two-party system. They're not dealing with the real issues. That's why young folks, they don't pay, they, you know, they feel like they're not paying attention to us. The working class votes in low numbers because they don't think the two parties represent them. People of color, youth. I mean, that's why. And now here in New York, tell me if I'm going on too long, we got a proposal from the Democratic Party, which is not small d Democratic, to increase by five times the number of votes a third party needs to get a ballot line, from 50,000 to 250,000. And then they want to preach about other countries not being democratic. You know, we need to clean house here too. You know, party suppression is part of voter suppression. You know, the pre-clearance uh, provision of the Civil Rights Act that the Supreme Court knocked out, where are the Democrats? They're not talking about that. And we need pre-clearance here in New York. It's not just Mississippi, Brooklyn. How many people were purged from the rolls before that primary in 2000 between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton? Over 100,000. You know, we got a lot of big problems here that we got to address in terms of just basic democracy.
Damn. Woo. John, you want to follow it up? <laughs> That's why I'm not on the debate tonight. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't handle you. They Only to say that people should be glad they're here and not home watching the debate. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I'm touched. I'm touched. Thank you. You know what? I think uh, this is a great way to segue into our first game of the night. We're going to play a little game called the rant wheel. Now, you know when you go home and, and you see all of your old family and your grandpa is like, you know what? I need to tell you something. And then he talks to you for about three hours about some book that he read. And he rants about it for a while. We're going to do a similar thing. Each of us on stage, we put in a bunch of topics, stuff that we're really passionate about, so passionate that we want to yell at you about them for about 45 seconds. So what we're going to do is, is we're going to spin this wheel twice, and we're going to see who gets to rant. Ready? Kurt, you want to spin it? And it. Oh, the new nuclear arms race. Howie, you, you started it. Do you want? Do you want to finish was, was it? That or? Rigged? Was that rigged? I was not rigged. I think I, I, think I gave my rant on that. Um, let's, let's get. Let's give him another but rant. Let, uh, let me just add that, you know, I was in the Marine Corps, and we had Thank nuclear weapons and artillery. I was infantry, but um, you should read a book by Daniel Ellsberg called *The Doomsday Machine*. And what he's talking about is the nuclear forces here in Russia and China. Because once we launch one nuke, it's a doomsday machine. They're all going. And the thing I learned is those tactical nukes, you know, a rogue artillery officer could start a nuclear war. And the other thing you find out is that it's not just the president with that football he carries around. He's supposed to punch the numbers to authorize nuclear war. That's just for us to reassure us. The fact is theater commanders have the authority to go. When they scramble B-52 bombers to go to Russia and China, if they don't get the signal to come back, which could be disrupted by weather, they're supposed to assume where their base was nuked, and they go on and drop the nukes. There are a lot of ways we could get a nuclear war without intending to. So we got to stop the doomsday machine and, uh, you know, and putting tactical nuclear weapons into conventional forces with new military doctrines that say we can use them, they're more miniaturized, et cetera, is crackpot. Does that include, include nuking a hurricane? Would that start it if we nuked a hurricane? Can we do that? We, I, I'm, I, I'm going I'm to say we you can't. Know, Trump saw that in a Disney movie back in the 50s. I saw that one, too. What? Yeah, they were talking about weather control back in the Walt Disney, Disney's World program. Yeah, but that's where, that's where Trump got it. It's about as deep as he can get. Let's, let's spin the wheel again. Thank you. One more spin. What do we get? What do we get? What do we get? Oh, so close to the boomer joke. <laughs> the climate crisis. Who put this? Howie? Oh, wait, wait, let's, uh, let, let, let's get another spit on that one. <laughs> you want, give you want to go on? We'll give you a chance. All right. To well, you should go to my website, howiehawkins.us. Yes. And there's a budget for an eco-socialist Green New Deal. That's where we're talking about what we're going to do through the public sector. And if you compare what we're talking about to the other Democrats, they're talking one to three trillion dollars over 10 years. It's not even serious. They're talking about some subsidies and some tax uh, incentives. It's not serious. Bernie Sanders is serious. And we think it's 16.3 trillion for 10 years 
is about right, but he's on a longer timeline. He doesn't get to 100% by 2030, about till 2050. We're going to 2030. But if you want to see a breakdown, and we show our homework, like none of the Democrats do, how we got our numbers, how many jobs we'll create, how much it'll cost, 38 million jobs. The bottleneck on getting this done is labor. We don't have enough people to do the work. The capital's there, the technology's there. I'm looking for a job. <coughs> so. Uh, awesome. So Essence, the next one landed on student loan debt. You got yeah. 45 seconds. Okay, great. So let's Go. talk because this is just crazy. I don't understand. Um, <laughs> so how many, I'm sure all y'all have social media, right? Like probably everybody in the room. Okay, Instagram, Twitter, something. I don't have a Twitter, but um, have you seen this this thing talking about whether or not you'd go to jail for a week? Yes, I have. Well, I, I would, I'm I suddenly would. very intrigued okay. by the option. Can you please raise your hand if you would do that? Okay, yeah, you, quick. It was very quick. Prison. You wouldn't think about it, right? You would not think about it. Okay, you can put your hands out. This is sad. This is sad. This is the point that I'm trying to make. I feel like people are really just trying to, you know, get their education in order to actually be able to survive in this life. And we can't even do that because once we actually have a job, we're working to pay off this for the rest of our lives. So it's kind of like we don't even have the freedom to actually do what we want, you know? And then it's like we're just so very, 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 very restricted. And I feel like if we can have memes and if we can have 42% of, I forget, I think it's of students in the United States wanting to go to jail for a week to pay off their student loan debt because they don't think it's that serious, then we have a problem. You know, That's like we should address that. I don't understand. Yeah. Yes, so yes. True. Thank you, Essence. Someone Thank said you. it. Someone has to say it. So that was the rant wheel. Michaela, you want to take us to our next phase of this? Yeah, sure. So we're going to take some uh, time to individually ask our guests some questions. So, uh, John, I'm going to actually start with you. So I'm curious, you know, as a political science teacher, how do you experience politics outside of your classroom? You know, are you, uh, are you an active participant in politics outside of the class? Yeah, so I mean, well, active consumer maybe more than I wish I was on social media at least. Um, and... You know, and gosh, this, I hate doing this, but I, uh, I have a podcast. <laughs> yes, yes, tell us about uh, your with, podcast. With I'm glad you said that's, it. It's uh, a critical theory uh, and philosophy podcast, but that engages current events. Um, you know, and so I'm relatively new to Plattsburgh. I've only been here about a year and a half, so I'm still kind of trying to like figure out what political participation and activism look like. Uh, here in Plattsburgh is a city uh, in addition to things that happen on campus. You're looking at it. Great. <laughs> Glad to hear it. And Essence, uh, where is your hometown? Long Island. Long Island. Oh, yo, what? And what do you feel, uh, you know, personally, how, what do you feel is the biggest political challenge facing your community at home? Mm, that's a really good question. I moved around a lot, so I can't really speak about one particular location in Long Island. What town? Uh, what town? Are you in right now? Or are you? Towns? Well, originally Freeport, New York, okay. so near Baldwin, if anybody knows. Okay. I got you. Uh, Nassau <laughs> County, if that counts. Um, mm. Where else? Near Queens, just like on the cusp a little bit before. Five towns, I don't know if y'all know where that's at. Um, yeah, so the biggest issue, I don't know, because maybe, actually, no, yeah. Definitely affordable housing, I would yeah. say. Yeah, Facts. definitely affordable housing. I think we often see that here as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely in Plattsburgh as well. That was um, actually a conversation that the Attorney General, Letitia James, came up here to talk about um, during her roundtable talk um, because affordable housing is actually something that's become a, a greater concern to not just like the Plattsburgh community but also students. 
So just even figuring out where you're going to be, you know, for the semester and not really knowing and then the pricing and then, you know, I don't know, the racial discrimination included in that, you know, just trying to find a place to stay and it's just very, very, very tough on trying to focus on your academics, you know. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, but yes, definitely affordable housing would be something I feel like my community definitely needs. Yeah. Thank uh, you for that. Essence, another question for you. Yeah, uh, sure. As a young person, just like us, how does the current political landscape that we find ourselves in shape your outlook for the future? So I have no hope. Um, what? Yeah, no. Thanks for being blunt about it. No. <laughs> I have no hope. Gentle. Or I had no hope, at least until I had my internship experience this past summer, and I met 52 other, I'm sure there are more other people out there, but I didn't meet them. And so I, to me, I knew that I was politically doomed, that it was over, we would not get out of this, and maybe I should start packing my bags. But this summer, I did meet 52 other amazing people um, within the uh, Congressional Black Caucus Foundation. And they really made me feel like they were going to be in places that I, were gonna, I was going to be in as well. Like, they made me feel like they knew exactly what they were doing. They had so many, they've accomplished so many things, you know, started nonprofits, have already started really, really large initiatives and really changing people, you know, providing resources to their community that it made me feel like, okay, if these are the people that I should be looking to, you know, to see in a couple of years, we got it in the bag, you know, like we yes, got this. Yes, absolutely. So I honestly <laughs> do feel like after having that experience because of them, even though I, I wasn't even that close with them, it's very fun, I'm very social, but that was just a, a time in my life where I kind of just kind of kept to myself and tried to do my internship. Um, but those people were, were very, amazing people and I'm so glad they touched my life and they probably absolutely wouldn't. In a million years thought I would say that but honestly they have yeah so they I know they're gonna meet me there you know what I mean so <laughs> yes. got this, right yeah here, so, yeah those experiences are important yeah absolutely. you know especially as a young person um Howie I kind of want to jump back to um something that you were a part of several several years ago um, I pulled this quote from one of the interviews that you had recently. The interviewer asked you, so how and when did you go green? And you answered, I have been involved in Clamshell Alliance. We occupied the Seabrook nuclear power plant site. We got 1,414 people arrested. That kind of put the anti-nuclear movement on the map. We had people come from all over the country, and it's right after the Vietnam War movement. A lot of activists looking for something to do. So if you look back on that moment and uh, what you thought about our, the future of politics would look like and what your role would be like, how have those views changed and how are they the same? Well, that was one of those moments where if you're an activist, an organizer, an agitator, not everything works. But sometimes you hit the bullseye and it takes off. We did that with the anti-nuclear movement. We did that getting sanctions against South Africa with the anti-apartheid movement. We did that here in New York, getting fracking banned, when capitalists from China to Saudi Arabia to Wall Street wanted to do the shale play, and Governor Cuomo was the governor. And I didn't think we were going to win that one, but we won that one. Uh, and there are a lot of defeats along the way. Um, what I was thinking back then was that we had come through a unique period of capitalism where wages and productivity were growing in tandem, and everybody was going up in the 50s and 60s. And just as I started working in the 70s, uh, wages stagnated. And I've been a construction worker, a teamster, and for the working class, we, we've actually, our wages have gone down a little bit. Cost of housing and health care and college has gone way up. So we're not living as well as we did. I didn't expect that at the time. We kind of assumed that the problem of 
doing better materially wasn't the big problem except for the poor. And we had the Poor People's Campaign, all our things addressing that. So that was something I didn't see coming because I didn't understand that what we're in now is the natural order of capitalism. You work for a fixed wage and all the extra value you create is taken by the owners. And that's the way they want it. And they only gave us in, uh, increases with productivity because they were scared the hell of us because after the World War II because the working class was rising up some in the 30s during the Depression and then they went to war and they're coming back knowing how to shoot. And I think the people that ran this country said, we better give them some. We'll give them the GI Bill, we'll give them the FHA, we'll build some highways for them, and we'll give them decent contracts. But profits started being squeezed in the late 60s and they went on, the corporations went on the offensive. And we're still suffering from it. Inequality kills. Inequality's been growing since you know, the early 1970s. We now have a life expectancy gap between our richest and poorest counties of 20 years. The average life expectancy has gone down in this country for the last three years. So this is a real issue that needs to be addressed. And you know, I thought we'd be fighting over the environment to give it a nuclear weapons, to stop wars. The women's liberation movement was coming up. The gay liberation movement was coming up. We were still fighting to get the civil rights realized. And I didn't think we'd be fighting the economic fight, but we are. Thank you for that, Howie. Thanks, yeah. So you've been in this fight for a while. Uh, and uh, you've run in many races. Uh, what do you say to your critics, mostly the Democrats, uh, who say that this election, is, the 2020 election, is not the time for a third-party campaign that might siphon votes from a Democratic candidate and possibly help Trump get reelected? What's your response to that? They say that every time. And they're not dealing with the real issues. And then they want to blame us for Bush getting elected in 2000, who lost the popular vote, and for Trump getting elected in 2016, who lost... He's a loser. He came in second place. Loser. <laughs> the Green Party didn't do that. The Electoral College did that. So instead of picking on the Greens, why don't you listen to us? We need to get rid of the Electoral College and have a national popular vote with ranked choice voting. Ranked choice voting, you rank your choices in order of preference. If nobody gets a majority in the first round, last place candidates eliminated and their votes transfer to their second choice. That way, if you like the Greens, you can vote for them without worrying about helping the Republicans. So Democrats, you know, join with us to make that change. Don't, don't pick on us. We didn't do it. The Electoral College did. Well said. Well said. Mm -hmm. All you. All right. So we are going to transition into another game. All right, so this is a game we like to call Headache Headlines. So on the screen behind me, you'll find a number to link to our quiz. So I need everyone to take out their cell phones. Oh, no, you have to do work. Do you have to stuff? participate. Yeah, so get those cell phones out. <laughs> get those thumbs moving. I, I know, yeah, you got, we, we didn't really prepare you guys for this. I apologize. Honestly. <laughs> you, are, are we playing? Uh, if you know the answer, you can try to... <laughs> help them out, but it's up to you. You don't have to help them out. So go to Kahoot, K-A-H-O-O-T dot I-T. On that screen, you'll find a box that you can enter our link into, and our number is 36072. Oh, we got a selfie going on on stage. <laughs> While you're busy. 
All right, we got five players. We got five. Six. I did order fries. Kahoot dot it. Everybody All right, eats. nice. We got we're up to fifteen players. Who's still straggling? <laughs> we got Tim pointing pointing out his whole table. <laughs> All right, twenty four players. Nice. <laughs> that was clever. That was okay. Boomer. <laughs> Who said okay, Boomer? Who was it? Ah. <laughs> You're hip. All right. You All right, we're kids. up to 27. Again, it's kahoot.it, K-A-H-O-O-T dot I-T. Our code is 36072. Y'all aren't going to change your name. <laughs> Okay, so just to give you the instructions on this game, we will need you to all be fact checkers and also finish these headlines for us. So you'll have 20 seconds to answer each question. So let's get started. You know what the best part of this is? This is a podcast, so everyone listening at home right now can't see what the hell is going on. Our first question. Guess the fake headline. We've got today's impeachometer. There's really no reason not to impeach Trump. Sex ed is so bad, these teens are doing it on TikTok. <laughs> Five-year-old brings cocaine to class, says it makes him feel like Spider-Man. Me too, honestly. <laughs> and lastly, the DNC struggles to see a... Qu oh, 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 and that's our answer. Wow. Let's see. So we had three people answer, answer correctly for that. So the Washington Post wrote, Democrats may struggle to choose a nominee and message. <laughs> All right. Next question. I know, I'm going to have to read much faster. You guys just have to learn how to read. <laughs> just hit next. Mystery gecko. All right. Fill in the headline correctly. There's no hiring basis against women in tech. They just suck at controlling their emotions. Computers interviews, or being criticized? I can't even control my emotions, so. The question is, there's no hiring basis against women in tech. They just suck at interviews. I guess we suck at interviews. That doesn't even make any sense. Uh, boo, yeah. Boo, I agree, I agree. <laughs> this is a Breitbart headline as a disclosure. Fake news, exactly. Really? <laughs> yeah, that's really a bright. Yeah, that is really. I know, right? We, you know, uh, just, just to uh, pause it a little bit. We used to try to make up the fake headlines for this game, and then we realized that headlines were so outrageous that we should try to make the real ones uh, or the fake ones, and just use the real ones. They were that crazy. Wait, I think you just confused me. So, <laughs> and I worked on this, so I don't know what you just said. All right, our next question. Quiz. On Facebook, fears of parasites push people to post pictures of blank and pursue dangerous remedies. Oh, we have someone on stage that said they've seen this before. Is it feces, tap water, their dog's butt, or red meat? You know, you know what, what are the, the bread loaf dogs? Shiba Inus? Are those the ones, you know the dogs where their butts look like bread? 
We've no. got 29 answers Why in so far. Only, no bread, one's answering bread, me. Bread dogs? Yeah, like the Shebas, you know, the little, I, I like dojas. Oh, yeah. On Facebook, fears of parasites push people to post pictures of feces and pursue dangerous remedies. Some people just do it for fun. <laughs> I do speak from experience. All right. <laughs> and our next question. Fill in the headline. New York regulator vows to investigate Apple Card for blank. Fraud. Gender bias. Racial bias. Impersonating a pear? A peer? A pear? Is that a fruit or is that... Oh. Oh, a pear card. Oh. I don't know. I I wish you had a microphone right now. Gender bias. Wow, a lot of you thought racial bias. Next question. (laughs) Fill in again. Sonic the Hedgehog returns with bigger blank and fewer blank. Hair, fingers, head, lines, eyes, teeth, eyebrows, or both. (laughs) Bigger hair, less fingers, bigger head, less lines, bigger eyes, less teeth, bigger eyebrows, less bones? One. He's animated. And time is up. Eyes and teeth. Bigger eyes, fewer teeth. 17 correct answers on that one. You know what? It's because the, we bullied the, the public. The internet bullied a media company to do what we want. And they spent like $30 million. $35 million to do it. To do it. If, we, if you don't go see Sonic the Hedgehog, you're part of the problem. I don't know what problem <laughs> is, but you're part of it. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Thank you for playing our game. Yes, thank you. And at this point of the show, we have to say goodbye to one of our guests. Essence has to head out and go do some awesome stuff at the school. Thank you, Essence, for your time with us tonight. Thank you so much for playing our games. At this point in the show, we have a surprise guest that we didn't know was going to be here. We have Tenzin Dorji, who is running for mayor of Plattsburgh. Come on stage, Tenzin. Hello, come join us on stage. So you're running for mayor of Plattsburgh, and you're running as an independent. Is that correct? Well, as of now, I'm still an independent, but I have been told that I need to pick a party line. Oh, pick a party line. And why is that? Um, Good question. (laughs) Let's try to figure it out together. Um, I might have to pick one for reasons of politics, but... Like I said, I'll always be me, you'll always be you. <laughs> no party line is going to ever change that. Yeah. <laughs> Tenzin, so, uh, so where are you from originally? Um, I'm from Bhutan. Cool. Uh, grew up in an all-boys Protestant Christian school. So I've been to church more times than you'll ever go in 10 lifetimes. <laughs> that is 11 months every year, every day. Half an hour, Monday to Saturday, three hours on a Sunday. <laughs> so. And so Tenzin, this is your first experience getting into politics. Uh, and Howie, you've been doing this for a while. And John, you've been studying this for a while. Um, do you guys have any advice for that Tenzin could take with him while he's on the campaign trail? Anything is appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, in a city like Plattsburgh, uh, the best way to get known is to knock on people's doors and listen. Most people just want to be heard because they feel like nobody's listening to them. They won't even agree with you on what you are, are advocating in a lot of cases. The fact that you just sat there and listened to them while they unloaded on what their problems were, um, that people really appreciate, I find. And the other thing is you learn what's on people's minds. Every time I run for office, I got some ideas about what I want to talk about. But then I find out the people got some other ideas in mind. Like when we were running in 2014, uh, you know, we had the Green New Deal, we had tax the rich, we had uh, fund the schools. And then I found out there was this whole movement against high stakes testing that was ruining the curriculums and reproducing uh, race and class stratification in the school system. And there was a big movement, so that had to become a big issue. That's an example that until I got out there talking to people, I didn't realize you know, that that was a huge issue. So I would say knock on doors and talk to people. Yes, let's hear it for awesome, that. Thank you. Let's knock on some doors. John, do you have any advice to impart? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a matter of kind of picking an issue that matters to a lot of people in Plattsburgh. And uh, conveniently, I mean, it's not like we have a multi-million dollar out-of-town real estate company wanting to develop bougie condos Ooh, when there are other ways to spend tea, money. Or some anything tea. like that that uh, may be relevant to a large number of residents of Plattsburgh. Um, appreciate your advice. I'm, <laughs> I'm not a politician, so... And I do not plan to run on the politics of any party line. I might have to pick a party line, but I will not run on the politics of a party line because I do not believe that party lines should matter in the administration of such a small city. What should matter is that every person in the city, every resident is taken care of. Everything nowadays is dollars and cents. You, I come from a place where dollars do matter, cents do matter. But more than that, it's for the caring, the compassion that matters. You cannot say, I'm going to take care of this part of town, and this part of town can be ignored. You cannot do that. Very well said. Everybody deserves to be equally served no matter which party line you run on, you are not elected because you're going to kowtow to a certain party line. That is on the national stage. We are so small, so minuscule. If we can invest in our generations to come with a pure heart, with compassion, that is what I am looking for. I am not looking to advance any agenda, any political agenda. I have none. I don't know any politicians in town. The only ones that I know are through my own personal friendships. Mm -hmm. That is what I've built on, and that is what I'm running on. Woo. Well said. So you brought up, you brought up uh, national politics and local politics, and we're actually going to transition and talk a little bit with you three about the connections between national and local politics. So, Michaela, if you want to take us away. Yeah, sure. So, um, the first question that we have um, for our guests tonight is we've had candidates as late as last week entering the Democratic race for nominee. Um, so, I want to know what challenges do you see in a field so large to successfully unseat the president? 
This is open discussion, so what are your thoughts? All yes. three of you. Anyone jump in. Michael Bloomberg should not have, should go by. Yeah, I, I agree <laughs> to that. It's a very political science specific, detailed, nuanced thing. Exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, I don't think the 18 person field is a problem. I think it's actually an asset because whoever comes out the other end will have, you know, gone through some battles, got ready to run against Trump. And any one of them should crush Trump. I mean, Trump's got a ceiling on his support. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's getting knocked down some by this impeachment process. And if the Democrats lose to Trump again, they can't do anything. Mm -hmm. um, so they just need to mobilize their base. That was the problem with Clinton. She ignored, she didn't go up in the upper Midwest. She assumed that for every working class person she lost, she'd get two white women in the suburbs. The white women in the suburbs went for Trump and the working class stayed home. Um, you can't run a race like that. I mean, it's possible to lose this guy, but it's really hard. And so I think the, the field is actually good because whoever comes out the other end will have shown they can you know, run mm -hmm. a campaign. That's a great perspective. Yeah. So it, it's super interesting because the, the, since the field's so wide, there's such a all of the candidates go across the political spectrum on the left. Uh, we have the super progressive candidates that are, are having policy platforms that are closer to your own, Howie. Uh, and then we have some of the more moderate candidates. Uh, according to some of the recent polls, Pete Buttigieg, one of the more moderate candidates in the field, has been surging in Iowa and, according to a couple of them, has been put in first place in Iowa uh, and is starting to be seen as one of the front runners in the field. His campaign, however, seems to keep running into some problems, gaining the particularly the minority vote across the country. Uh, in your opinions, what sort of chance does he have at this point of the race? Uh, and what could explain that surge in the polls in Iowa? Well, in my opinion, he's the candidate of Silicon Valley and Wall Street. He, in one, one of those quarters, he raised more money than anybody. Sanders has a lot of little contributions. Buttigieg's got some big contributions. This reminds me of Jimmy Carter. I mean, he came out of nowhere, and there was, there was a book written after he ran called the Carter, Beyond the Carter Presidency, or Carter... The Carter presidency and beyond. By he's a guy who's actually a green now, Larry Shoup out in California, and he described how in the background, you know, the Trilateral Commission, this business association, and Time Inc. and you know they were pushing Carter and getting all this money, and uh, he won a Democratic primary because he had primary because he had the establishment behind him, and he was like Buttigieg. You didn't know what he really stood for. Jimmy Carter just had a big smile. Everybody knew that, and uh, I mean there were cartoons. It was all teeth. And uh, that's what he reminds me of, you know. He reminds me of Obama, too. I was you know, about to say that. Hope and change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you look down at the details, it was pretty damn conservative. You know, he, he kept Bush's defense guy. He brought the Wall Street guys in to run the economy. It really wasn't much change. Um, but people, especially after the Bush presidency, they were ready to hope for anything. So, you know, after Trump, you know, Buttigieg can beat Trump. But I don't know what he'll bring, you know, in the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a story in part of that uh, a lot of moderate Democrats and a lot of wealthy Democratic donors and party officials are scared of Joe, are scared of Elizabeth Warren and scared of Bernie Sanders. And uh, Joe Biden is unimpressive to be uh, too kind. Um, and there are concerns about him. And so he appear, appeals as a nice, uh, young, 
good-looking, moderate person with the military background, but that has the kinds of policies that Howie just spoke to. Mm -hmm. Young Joe Biden? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Tenzin? No comment. Means I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> just like you. Yeah, so uh, my next question is, you know, there are a lot of people who have called this impeachment uh, trial that we're going through right now or, uh, you know, the force and push for the impeachment trial um, is due in part because of a constitutional crisis. So I just want to hear, you know, why is this a danger to the future of American democracy? If we don't pursue this impeachment and we're not proving that this is not acceptable behavior, why is this a danger to future democracy? Well, he, you know, in the, the administration, President Trump, they defy subpoenas from Congress. So right away, you got a constitutional crisis between Article One and Article Two of the Constitution. Uh, Trump blatantly breaks laws, encourages people working for him to break the law. That's lawlessness. Um, you know, we're supposed to be a nation ruled by law, not men. And he's acting like King George. Uh, so that's just the start. I think if we let this guy get away with that, you know, who's next? And how much further will they go? So, yeah, it's a constitutional crisis. And if we a don't check this, slope. yeah, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's like one of them water slides at one of those amusement parks. We're really accelerating down. It's an 80-foot drop. <laughs> We're just going on the, the straightest water slide down. John? I mean, I'm, I'm pushed in two directions, right? On the one hand, a number of things, as Howie's spoken about um, and as Essence spoke to earlier, about Trump are seemingly fairly unique, but there are a lot of ways in which Trump's white nationalism or his misogyny or whatever are not particularly aberrant in American political history or even recent American political history, right? So there are ways in which Trump poses a crisis to democracy and a way in which he is a product of the kind of failures of democracy that have preceded him. He's the symptom, not the cause of the problem. Or, or both. <laughs> or both, time. yeah, Very exactly. scientific. Sorry, scientists in the room. <laughs> A fine example of how the Constitution of the United States or any Constitution of any democracy affords you the freedom to choose your elected representatives is me. Have you, any one of you, lived under a dictatorship, under a monarch? None. I have. I know what it feels like not to have any rights. I know how it feels to have to ask permission to go and do this or go and do that. The Constitution of the United States gives you so many rights as a human being that you get to live as a human being. I didn't get to live that for a major part of my life. Now, people who voted Donald Trump into office, I would like to send all of them to such a place that I came from and see how long they can live there. And that's the reason why we need to have that impeachment process. Because the yes. Constitution demands it. Our forefathers saw it. And we need to go through it and get him out of office. Well said. Well said. See, Tenzin, you're the politics. You're getting into it. Perfect. I'm just going to defer to Tenzin from now on. I'll yeah. Oh, my I, goodness. I, I, it's, it's like the impeachment inquiry. I give the remainder of my, my time. time. <laughs> I, I yield my time. 
What I'm st- what I'm talking about <laughs> is life's experiences. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of power to the fact that we can hold impeachment trials in this country. And you have the right exactly to vote anybody out of office. And yeah. speaking on the impeachment trial, one of the last things that I want to talk about tonight comes and affects us all here. We live in New York's 21st congressional district, uh, and we're. You know where this is going. (laughs) Uh, So during one of the impeachment hearings last week, Elise Stefanik spoke out about the hearings and faced some heated backlash on Twitter from the left. Uh, And over the weekend, her opponent, Tedra Cobb, has raised over a million dollars following a tweet from President Donald Trump calling Elise a rising star in the Republican Party. In other words, basically shooting her campaign in the foot is what some people are looking at it as. What power does social media play in shaping our political landscape, especially when Donald Trump is concerned? Well, it plays a big role. Um, I found out about, you know, Stefanik. I heard a little bit of her rants. And then I saw a news article, and, you know, Cobb did raise a million dollars, but she didn't take a clear position on Medicare for All. She didn't take a clear position on impeachment, which is how she raised her money. I mean, I don't know why she couldn't do that. I think the other issue was the Green New Deal. Um, and I would say if she's going to beat the incumbent, she's got to stand for something, not stand avoiding anything, which she seems to be doing. And I think that's why Clinton lost to Trump. Now, Trump, whatever the hell he was saying, at least he was saying it and people kind of knew. Hillary was like, I'm not Trump. Not Trump is not enough. And not Stefanik is not enough. So one of you should run as a Green candidate. The petitions don't start till July. You got plenty of time to think about it. There you go, guys. I'll take you up on that offer. I will take you up on that. Yep. All right. So it is time for our next game. Uh, This is called a policy for everything. So similar to what our commander-in-chief stated about healthcare once, nobody knew policymaking could be so difficult. So now we've got a basket of policies and a basket of very non-political topics. So we're going to have each guest on stage select one piece of paper from each basket, and you have 60 seconds to explain how you would incorporate the very non-political item into your policy designer metaphor. That wasn't ready for national <laughs> and another one. Here we go. And your random topic. Let's see how we read out what you got here. Beer and water I'm sorry, beer and water quality. Oh, that's too easy. Now, right. I've been a teetotaler since Willie Mays. I found out he was my hero coming up in San Francisco Giants. He didn't drink, so I don't drink. So I can't tell you much about beer, except I know you need good water. <laughs> and if you notice, <laughs> the logo for my campaign is H2O. Woo. Howie Hawkins, 2020. Perfect. Of course, when I showed up at the Motel 6 in Minneapolis, they said, oh, the water department. We've been waiting for you. <laughs> but... Water quality is one of the problems we're going to have if we go through this climate catastrophe. Be shortages of water all over the world. And uh, so water is a huge issue. It's a survival issue. We can't survive without water. We got to protect it. And uh, so, you know, the, the Clean Water Act, you know, needs to be enforced. We got an EPA right now that doesn't want to enforce it. I mean, passing a law is one thing. Getting it enforced is half the battle. So that's something we got to stay on top of. And uh, 
I will yield my time. <laughs> uh, I have cigarettes and animal rights. All <laughs> 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 right. Uh, so, so as a vegetarian, I feel uh, particularly passionate about my assigned policy of animal rights uh, <laughs> for this fun activity. Um, so, I mean, I think that uh, the the link between my animal rights policy and cigarettes is that uh, a core component of animal rights these days is ensuring that products are not tested on animals, uh, cosmetic products or other kinds of products uh, who are often held in deplorable uh, conditions. And um, I would like to make sure that uh, cigarettes are also not tested on animals. Yeah, all right. Awesome. Controversial, I know. That's why I'm not being elected. And Tenzin, for our last, what are your topics that you've got? I got Medicare and succulent. Medicare and succulents. That's a tough one. That's, uh, that's a stretch. Tiny cacti. Ti tiny cactuses. Well, Medicare seems to be very succulent to the farmer <laughs> countries. I've been companies, right? Because they suck every penny out of it. <laughs> there you go. All right. That was pretty good. <laughs> that's the only thing I can think of. If we had Medicare for all, we would have all have more money to buy succulents with. Where I come there from, Medicare, me healthcare is free. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> more tea, we more tea. <laughs> it, it might be uh, monarchy, but it has its perks. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for giving us some policy ideas. Uh, from First off, my entire thought on that, on uh, Medicare and succulents, is like mental health. Like, I know if I'm ever feeling bad, I just buy a little plant, and then it helps, right? Yeah. That works. That works. Uh, so we're actually going to transition a little bit to allowing the two of you who are running for office to talk a bit about your platforms. So Howie, we'll start with you. Uh, we, you just made some policy on the fly, uh, but on your website, you have a bunch of policy initiatives uh, listed. And I heard from somebody, I don't remember who, but I heard you're running for president of the United States of America. Thank you. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your platform uh, and why people should vote for you in November? Five. Yeah, well, I've, I've mentioned the three life or death issues that I lead on, the climate emergency, the inequality crisis, and the new nuclear arms race. We need an emergency uh, green energy reconstruction program or green economy reconstruction program to transform not just the energy sector but manufacturing, agriculture, transportation and buildings so we can get to 100% clean energy by 2030 because as that young woman Greta Thunberg schooled the UN ambassadors, we got to do that and you know if we get to 45% uh, in 10 years which is what the one and a half degree scenario is that we got from the International Panel on Climate Change, that only gives us a 50% chance of, of avoiding runaway climate change. And as that young woman said, that's not good enough. So that's one. Two, inequality. Shout out to Greta. We're calling for an economic bill of rights. Guarantees everybody a job guarantee, a guaranteed income above poverty, affordable housing, comprehensive health care, lifelong public education, and a secure retirement. And then I mentioned the program for the nuclear arms race. Pledge no first use. Uh, unilaterally disarm to a minimum credible deterrent and then get the nuclear powers together and say it's time 
to completely disarm. But there are a whole lot of issues. We got to stop the atrocities on the borders. We call for open borders like they have within the EU. And I mentioned the Green New Deal, we need 38 million people. A lot of those people are south of the border and they're willing to do that construction and factory work that will be involved. We need reparations. Reparations for African Americans. Essence mentioned H.R. 40. That's a bill to study reparations. That's to make whole what's going on. And this didn't start, or this isn't just for slavery. This went on to this day with all the redlining and predatory lending and stealing of homes. And as somebody said, it didn't start with Trump, it didn't end with him. You know, under the Obama administration, they let the racist predatory lenders go without prosecution. Holder said they're too big to jail. And so what do we got? We got two of the biggest racists running Treasury and Department. Steve Mnuchin, One West, huge predatory lender and, and foreclosure against black, Latino, and Asian people. And then they went after seniors on this foreclosure scam. And then you got uh, Wilbur Ross, who had these mortgage servicing companies that did the robo-signing, which was massive fraud and home stealing. And because they weren't prosecuted by the Democrats, they're back in power. And I could talk about the war criminals, the torturers, who Obama said we're not going to look back. That was the Bush administration, we're going to look forward. Well, now they're back in the Trump administration. You know, Elliot Abrams, Bolton was there for a while, and others. The only person prosecuted for torture was John Kiriakou, who was a CIA analyst who tipped off the press that we were waterboarding. So that's another issue. We need to pardon all these whistleblowers. We have about a dozen people prosecuted under the whistleblower, I mean the Espionage Act. That was from World War I. It was hardly used until the Obama administration. Now the Trump administration using it. And these were people that told us what the government was doing, like mass surveillance, like torture, and fraud and abuse in the Department of Defense with, with the contracts for this mass surveillance. And they got prosecuted because they leaked to the press what was going on. And so I think we ought to pardon all those people. Julian Assange, if he gets convicted, it's dangerous for all the press, not just in the United States, but the whole world, because he's an Australian, and WikiLeaks is not a U.S. organization. And he's being prosecuted on 17 counts for being a publisher. That's the press. This is a, not just to intimidate the press, but all of us who dissent. And then there's Edward Snowden who I, I've read his book, you gotta read his book, uh, Permanent Record, about the mass surveillance. I, if I was president, I'd bring him into the administration and figure out how to, in this electronic world, protect our privacy and our civil liberties. You got me with thank that. You, yeah. Thank you, awesome. thank you. Tenzin, we're gonna give you an opportunity. Why are you running? Tell us a little bit. Um, rather than speak about why I'm running, I would rather speak about how I'm running and how I came to be running. Tenzin, hold that microphone just a little bit closer. Okay. There can you go. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. My wife said I should lift my head up <laughs> so that you can see my face, but I'd rather that you hear my voice and I can avoid the bright lights. <laughs> All right. Now, where I come from, uh, sitting back there, I heard about student loans and going to jail to get your student loans eradicated, taken away. Matt, a good friend of mine, he says, I'll go to jail for nine months if they can you know, write off all my student loans. Let me tell you one thing, where I come from. Now, this is what is structurally deficient 
in the Western culture. My children, my son, my daughter, will never know what a student loan is. Why? Because I've taken care of it. Why did I take care of it? My parents took care of mine. My grandparents took care of my parents' loan. You gotta have everything from the base level up, not the top level down. And like I said before, it is not all dollars and cents. If you can start that trend now, believe me, your kids will continue that. That is one small example of the difference of how we function. I don't promise anything that I will do this for the city or I'll do that for the city. I have this plan for the city or I have that plan for the city. I don't have any plans. The plans belong to the citizens of the city. They tell me what the plans are and we work on the plans together. I don't sit in my office and command a league of workers to go and do whatever needs to be done and I just, you know, issue the commands. No. That is what I lived under. The greatest gift that I've given my daughter, who was not born in the United States. My son is born here. He's a citizen by birth. My daughter is not. I decided, my wife and I decided at one time saying, do we want our child to live the same life as us? Not having an identity, not belonging anywhere. We said, no, we gotta give her something better. So he said, what do we do? Not that I had a bad life. I had a better life than I had here. I'll tell you that. But she needed to belong. She needed to belong somewhere that she can make a difference and she's given the opportunity to make that difference. So we said, okay, where should we go? We went to Europe and I wanted to stay in Europe. But my wife said, no, all of my friends, all my relatives are in the United States. Let's go to the United States because it's the greatest democracy on earth. Gives you every right as a human being to live to your fullest limit. So we said, okay, let's go here. This country has given us the right to live as decent, common human beings. Nothing, nothing should ever, ever overtake that feeling I am grateful to this country for giving me what it has given me. I own a business. I employ my whole family, which means I take care of all of them. People are scared of immigrants taking care of their jobs. No, I have been looking for employees for the last one year, advertising in newspapers, trying to find people to work with me, spending thousands of dollars. I haven't found a single person who applied for a job. So I'm an immigrant but I'm not taking your job away. I'm here to provide you with jobs, if you can work. 
Now, one moment. Coming to America was not even in my dreams. Living this life was not even in my dreams. Forget about running about running for office. That was not even imagined. But there is a saying in my culture, what are you without an impossible dream? Because that impossible dream to achieve that impossible dream, you're going to live through many dreams that you will achieve. And that is what I ask of you as youngsters today. Live the impossible dream because down the, you know, trying to achieve that impossible dream is how you're going to leave, live many of the dreams that you have never imagined. Thank you. Wow. Owie, Tenzin, thank you both. We'd like to thank our guests for being here tonight. We're going to finish the show out with a couple of final words. Um, thank you all for coming to this Late Night for the Planet, talking about politics with us. Uh, before you leave, uh, please take a look at the half sheets on your table uh, and also the QR codes on your table. Uh, if you're interested, please scan them and support Pod for the Planet and Late Night for the Planet. Yeah, so um, take a look at those half sheets again. Um, this is our call to action. Use these resources, get involved, and support causes fighting for free and fair elections. This stuff is really, really important. So take these. They have Howie's website on the bottom. I encourage you all to go take a look at his policy platforms and his website. And uh, yeah, so again, thank you to our attendees and special guests. We have uh, John, Essence, Tenzin, and especially presidential candidate Howie Hawkins. Uh, we wish you all the best in your race and all that will come for you and your party. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed this. I was glad to be here. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Everyone, a round of applause. Woo! Yes. And on a personal note for us, the hosts, Michaela here is graduating in three weeks. I am, yes. Three short weeks. <laughs> I stepped my friends. Yeah, so, um, you know, I, this means that this is my last time sharing this stage with my friend Charles. Um, we started this project together, among many others, in the past two and a half years, and it's been a journey and a labor of love, and I'm really proud of us and all that we've accomplished, and uh, I'm just really grateful for how we've been able to grow together um, at this college, and thank you to Kurt. Um, Kurt has been such a leader in all of this. Kurt has listened to every crazy-ass idea we've ever had. A lot he of supported us, and uh, we really value all of his input and support. Um, we wouldn't be here without him today. So, uh, you know, before I get teary-eyed, I'm really thankful for this experience. Um, to Hadar, Ramel, Clarice, I am so glad to be a part of this team with you guys um, and to watch this show live on. Um, I think this is really great for our community, and I'm just so proud of everyone for being a part of this. So uh, thank you all very much, and uh, good night. <laughs> it couldn't... How cute. Wow. Had to do it to her. I had like a whole thing that I was going to say, but then like Charles Michaela said it all. Um, we have a, a problem baked into all of higher education. That problem is that every four years we give away some of our best talent. 
And so we give away Michaela in December, um, which is bittersweet. Um, she's going to go on and do amazing things. Um, and we can't thank you enough for bringing Late Night for the Planet to us and all of your ideas and everything you've contributed to the Center for Earth and Environmental Science. So a huge round of applause for Michaela. <laughs> So we can't vote twice in 2020, right? You only get a vote for one candidate for president. Michaela Hendrick. Well, I'm thinking Howie in 2020, Tenzin in 2024, Michaela Hendrick in 2028. Did you only give Howie one term? <laughs> whoa, I'm sorry, well, what? That's true, that's true. Whoa, we should whoa, all give those. him the second term. <laughs> Thank you all so much for coming. We will be back in February of 2020 for our next show, and have a great night.